Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I'd like to start by honoring the traditional owners of the unceded land on which this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Joe and I pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'm recording this introduction on the 26th of January. Officially, it's known as Australia Day, but for many in the Aboriginal community, it is a day of mourning. I'd like to acknowledge that, and Joe and I both offer our support and solidarity. In this episode, we're speaking with Krista Fairbrother. Krista is an active member of the Accessible Yoga community and teaches Aqua Yoga. Krista deals with chronic pain from multiple autoimmune conditions and found that Aqua Yoga is a joyful and supportive practice that doesn't aggravate her pain, cause excess fatigue or overwhelm her. Krista is also releasing a book, Water Yoga, A Teacher's Guide, which will be released July 2022. That's this year. As I record this introduction, it's 36 degrees in Melbourne, so getting in the water sounds very appealing at the moment. Anyway, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Krista. All right, Krista, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's great to get the chance to speak with you. I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you started teaching water yoga. Yes, thank you both so much for hosting me today. I appreciate it. My name is Krista Fairbrother, and I'm an aqua yoga coach and trainer in Florida in the States. And I have a little bit of a kind of meandering journey to aqua yoga. It makes sense with water things. I started doing yoga a very long time ago. I don't actually even like remember which year, you know, I was like 2021. It was so long ago. And at the time I was a farrier. So for your listeners who don't know what that is, it is somebody who puts horseshoes on horses. Somebody has to do that. You know, machines don't do that anymore or never did, excuse me. And it is not good for your back. You're, you're bent over, you're holding a lot of weight, you know? And so it was like, okay, well, I love my job. I'd like to do it as long as possible. Somewhere I'd heard yoga is good for your back. So I decided to go to a yoga class and it was really fun, more than I was expecting. You can kind of hear this in my voice. It's like, oh, yoga, you know, it's not necessarily my thing. And I continued to go to the class for years. And then, you know, life continues. I developed this home practice, life continues. I have some kids. My kids go to school finally. And it's like, wow, I've, I've been doing yoga now about 20 years of this time. I, I think I'm pretty serious about this. Maybe I should go to yoga teacher training. And at that point, it was it was really about me, you know, just developing my personal practice and taking it to the next level. So I signed up for yoga teacher training and I had a health diagnosis at the time of systemic lupus erythematosus, which is an autoimmune disease. And during the middle of yoga teacher training, switch doctors got a whole bunch more diagnoses in the arthritic realm of like, wow, I was really having some cognitive dissonance of making sense of the diagnoses with everything I've been able to accomplish, you know, being an athlete as a teen and doing so much with horses and all these years of yoga. It's like, wow, I must have really stumbled upon something that was a self-management tool that was extremely powerful. And that really galvanized my desire to teach yoga. So I immediately signed up for yoga for arthritis teacher training, immediately after regular yoga teacher training. And it was there I met a fellow yoga for arthritis instructor from Florida 
who casually happened to mention, oh, you know, we do this wine and water yoga night once a week. And I was like, oh my God, why has no one ever told me about this before? <laughs> and so I immediately signed up for opera yoga teacher training. And so that kind of meandering path of 20 years of yoga and different teacher trainings led me to that. And I immediately fell in love and specialized in that ever since. Wow. And how fortuitous that even before you received your diagnoses, you were already dialed into these practices that would help manage some of the symptoms that you might have already been feeling or might have been potentially coming up in the future. For people who aren't aware, do you want to just explain how the water can be helpful for some of those lupus and arthritis symptoms? Sure. Yeah. Just to be clear, so there's a more than 100 kinds of arthritis. And so because it kind of gets lumped into this general category of joint pain, that's literally what the word arthritis means, is it becomes very broad. And, and so we have to be careful when we talk about it because not everything I might say that's beneficial for one kind of arthritis is going to be beneficial for another kind of arthritis, of course. But in general, arthritis is a condition of joint pain and some mental, therefore, mental health aspects, some lifestyle aspects, some uh, physiological changes that one needs to manage. And how we can do water yoga to help us with that is, of course, we have the poses, but we also have the other limbs of yoga as well, such as the breath work and the yoga philosophy that we can apply. So, I'm just kind of throwing that, leaning into that because I know we all want to talk about the poses and those are so much fun and everybody loves the pictures I put out about doing poses in the pool. But of course, yoga is more than what we do with our bodies. So, but all that being said, I know you want to talk about the water. So water's buoyant, right? It literally takes a load off for us. So when you live with arthritis and you have that chronic pain and maybe your joints are grumpy, to be able to get in the water and, and have that buoyancy, put a little more space back in there so that you can get some more freedom of movement and a little less restriction. It's just really amazing physically. And then the, what that does for your, your mental state in terms of your attitude and your outlook and your agency as a person for someone who lives with a chronic disease is really powerful. Oh, yeah, I could totally imagine. And even just in terms of moving safely, like if someone had a lot of restricted movement in their knees or their hips, it really rules out a lot of even getting down on the floor to do floor work. Sometimes even chair yoga isn't the most comfortable position if someone's having a lot of hip pain. But when you get in the water, you could be supported in all directions. And also I'm thinking there probably would be less of a risk of falls. Absolutely. Yeah, those are all really great points. So I've worked with people that the other sort of misconception about arthritis jump in is here's a lot is that it's a disease of aging, because we tend to think of osteoarthritis, which is generally the, the mechanical wear and tear. We do know now science has shown us it's a little more than that. But somebody of any age, if you start to get arthritis in your hands, then traditional yoga is really not accessible to you. Because that weight bearing on your hands, you've already mentioned the getting on and off the ground, which is a super can be a super big challenge. If you mentioned chair yoga, like what where I am at in my current disease state, it's really hard for me to sit. So I actually love chair yoga and 
pre-pandemic, I would teach it. But, you know, sitting is not necessarily good for us either. So when we get in the water, the beauty of it is we're just standing. So it eliminates a lot of those hot spots for joint pain that, that give us trouble in yoga. We also do really flowing movements. I know there's a lot of probably of your listeners who really like yin yoga, which is that style where we tend to hold poses for a real long time. And that has some real contraindications for people who live with arthritis because you, you've got connective tissue diseases and, and you don't want to put a lot of extra strain on those tissues. So, so the water, it supports us. It gives us a very fluid environment to move in. It keeps us on our feet. It helps us be outdoors, which these days during COVID, if you have a lot of comorbidities, which, you you know, we get into that, that class when we have autoimmune diseases, it helps keep you outside. And there's a beautiful social component to it, which that's frankly why a lot of people come to yoga classes. And so that continues that when you're outdoors in the pool. Do you notice that people are naturally like a little bit more relaxed or a little bit more playful when they're in the water because there's all of those good associations of just being at the beach and being on holidays and just splashing about? <laughs> yeah. Well, in the pool, I mean, if you think about like the last time you went to the pool, it was probably not a calm, quiet place, right? I mean, you guys are today. It's a weekend. You, you know, and then you know it's your morning. I don't know what time of day you guys like to go. But pools are not calm, quiet places, right? There's kids running around and there's swim team practicing and and it, it is a very busy sort of place. And so it it naturally lends itself to kind of a, a lighter tone, which is, I think, of real value to a lot of people who maybe feel uncomfortable in traditional yoga environments, right? We don't we don't need to take it quite so seriously. It's not that hushed atmosphere and there's not a lot of iconography that's really unfamiliar to people you know it's just their city pool and hey yoga I've, I've heard it's kind of a nice thing that'll be good for your back or maybe you release some stress and so I work with a lot of beginners and a lot of people who are maybe totally new to yoga because they find the pool a, a less a, a more accessible environment and just before we move on so much from the the physical aspects my mum actually has a lupus diagnosis as well, and she's been like it's mainly affected her skin at this stage. But um, I'd really love to know how the pool has helped you manage lupus symptoms because my mum also loves the water, and she and my dad go to aqua aerobics almost every day. So, she, and she does yoga as well. But she might have also kind of naturally found her way towards this practice that will help her manage this condition. Yeah. So important thing. So when I, you know, circling back around to that, well, there's, you know, different kinds of arthritis and we have to be careful with what we say. So when I lump everything to arthritis, there's always that grain of salt because with lupus, we have, we have to be really careful. Like you said, with our skin, the problem with having to be careful with your skin with lupus is you're very, very UV sensitive. Yeah. That's what she has. Right, right. You guys are there in Australia. We, we are just sun, sun soaked places. And so you really got to be careful with covering up. So I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about like body image and what that is in the pool. But some women choose to cover themselves maybe for religious observant reasons. They have these great things called burkinis, right? And, and that's basically what I look like when I go to the pool because I'm covered, you know, as head to toe as I can get. And I wear a hat and I wear sunscreen because 
more after about more than an hour, I have to be, you know, really careful with the sun. And it's kind of an interesting, you know, having a public persona with that, so to speak, is I actually field a lot of questions when I put pictures out on social media with myself in that people ask, why are you always wearing clothes at the pool? Because they're used to seeing people in a swimsuit. And so I, I do put myself out there in a swimsuit on social media more than I do in my real life for that reason. But so there's that element of please, when you have lupus, hear everything that I'm saying, but please cover up. That's super important to monitor your UV exposure. And then in terms of the other things that we have when we, we deal with lupus, and, and what lupus is to clarify for people who are maybe more familiar with some other kinds of arthritis is it's an autoimmune disease that can basically attack anything. And it, it's not just involved in your joints. It can also attack your skin, as we spoke to, and your organs. So there's some issues with it there. And knowing that, it, I find that it can really kind of help with your attitude a little bit. It's like, okay, you, we've talked about how land yoga may not be accessible to you. And if you've reached that place, it's like, wow, I, I even have to give up yoga because of lupus. This is lousy, right? So perhaps water yoga can be a place where you get to continue something you can enjoy. As we already talked about with the joint pain, it can be a place where you get to continue to work in a less demanding physically environment. It gives you that buoyancy. It's a little more relaxing. It's a little more comfortable. And it's also shorter. So depending on what you're living with, this isn't just about arthritis, but there are days when you have certain conditions where you may be capable of a lot. And there may be days where you really need to take it easy and do a little less. One of the nice things about aquatic classes, you mentioned your parents do aqua aerobics is best practice is 45 minutes because everybody has to go to the bathroom after 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> And that is, it's not just you. If somebody's like, oh my God, I hear that a lot. Oh my, I thought it was just me. No, it's all of us. Because another feature of the water is the hydrostatic pressure. When you get in the water and you have that feeling of like it pressing in on you everywhere, almost like a little sock, that is the hydrostatic pressure. The water's more dense and it's pressing in on you, which circulates your blood faster. Your kidneys are more efficient, right? That's why you have to get out. That is an issue for lupus people. You heard me say, you know, your kidneys are more efficient. Lupus can attack your kidneys. And so if you're, you know, living with that, that's potentially another thing you have to manage specifically when you're in the water is you may need to kind of take a break, even in the middle of your 45 minute aquatics class to get out and use the bathroom and come back because your kidneys aren't as efficient as they used to be. So, but that idea of, you know, yoga accessibility, sometimes it's even something as simple as time. Not everybody has an hour and a half in their life to go to a yoga studio and take this amazing class, right? So the, the fact that we can do a full practice in 45 minutes is potentially more available to some people. That's a really great point. And I guess that brings us back to your mention of a full practice. And I know that you are super focused on not just sharing the physical aspects of yoga, but the whole eight limbs. Are there any ways that this plays out differently in the water? You've already mentioned how it can be kind of a noisy, playful environment, which would definitely be a benefit in honing our ability to stay present, but, you know, also some other factors in the mix. Right, right. That is an excellent question. So how, you know, how do you apply these, these eight limbs? So yoga philosophy, for example, if we're going to talk about the yamas and niyamas, the first two limbs of yoga, for example, how does this get expressed at the pool? As a teacher, they are challenging for me to teach because the, the pool is such a busy, loud environment. We don't have that 
oh, I'm going to put you in child's pose and let you rest here for five minutes and give you a beautiful soliloquy on ahimsa and what it means for you. You know, it's like, no, I don't have that kind of time. Okay, ahimsa <laughs> means non-harming. Today, I want you to practice without hurting yourself. Everybody got that, right? We, we have to really get in and get out and make it really quick. So when I work with people, I try to give them one aspect of yoga philosophy for the day. So it's really trying to be succinct as a teacher. And then for them, hopefully they're, you know, coming back to class so that we can work them through those whole eight limbs over time. So there's kind of that element of yoga philosophy. Also for them to, to incorporate these ideas, if they are in an environment, for example, circling back to Ahimsa, where they find the environment much less harming than they might find a traditional yoga studio environment. Maybe they tried that mat class and it was just, I one, I one person told me once, she's like, oh my God, that was the worst thing I've done. And it was like horrible oh, to hear no. this person. Yoga. I was like, no, 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 I'm so sorry. No, please, yoga's lovely. But she was like, that was the worst thing. Some friend drug her to class and she's like, oh my God, that was the worst thing I've ever done. It's like, oh no. So if they get in the water and they can see it as a much more comfortable place to work, that really burns that idea of ahimsa in. It's like, oh, wow, this, this is non-harming, right? So you, you try to convey the information in a way that really accentuates the medium. And, and so there's that, asking them as students to integrate that. When we talk about something like breath work, Yes, that is very distinctly different in the water because I mentioned the hydrostatic pressure, you know, it's pressing in on you. So everybody here listening to this podcast, you know, you're just kind of breathing in and out as you do this. Now, if you thought about if you were breathing in a sock, it's going to be a lot harder to inhale, right? And your exhale is just naturally going to kind of pop out of you. And that's how it is in the water. So we have to be a little cautious and I would say a little more conservative with our breath practices. We don't do a lot of breath holding and breath counting and because it's frankly really hard in the water you're already dealing with the hydrostatic pressure and and it's almost like this multimedia environment right you've got the the sensory input of all these other people coming in at you and then and something like meditation okay well how do we meditate in the water i i can't say too many times how busy a place it is but also we haven't talked about the do you really want to put your head under the water so are we going to do a floating meditation where my head is above the water and I'm really interacting with all these inputs and distractions? Or am I going to recline and do a floating meditation with my ears under the water where I'm really in my own space, but, but maybe I'm not comfortable with the water enough to do that, or maybe I'm a non-swimmer. So we have to think about that aspect of, of the meditation as well. What does that look like for people? What's their comfort level in the water? How are, how is, are we as teachers going to explain that for them? So there's some very different aspects to the eight limbs. They're all still there, <laughs> but we, we do have to engage with them differently when, when we're in the different environment of the water. And I've noticed as well, you're quite a prolific blog writer. And so I, as I was looking through your blog, I was thinking like, oh, I wonder if this is also another way to connect with people around these philosophical ideas when you're in a quieter place, because you can write, you know, in your own space, in your own time, and then you can kind of guide people to things that they can read outside of the class and maybe think about outside of the class. And so you're still presenting all aspects of yoga, but just not all at once. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. And, 
And the other thing I'm I'm a really big proponent of is I work, I said, mainly with beginners, people new to yoga and a lot of seniors because I do focus on arthritis to help people who live with arthritis, as well as the fact that since I live with it, I have to take care of myself. And, and so I only work weekdays during the day. Well, who wants to come to class weekdays during the day? A lot of seniors, obviously, right? Because that's when they have time as well. Working professionals, you know, weekends and evenings don't work for me as someone who lives with arthritis. So when you combine all those things is I'm really passionate about helping people integrate yoga into their regular lives, right? They come and see us, in, whether it's the studio or the pool, and they have they're spend their time with us, and that's great, and they have a wonderful experience, but I want them to be able to see how that experience they had with us, us as teachers can really impact their daily lives, whether it's find more comfort in their bodies, whether it's, you know, kind of adjust their attitude, find their own personal power, connect with their breath to reduce stress or or manage a mental health condition, whatever that looks like for them, that they can make those connections. So when I share my writings on yoga, that absolutely, that that is what that's about, since tech and the pool don't mix real well. <laughs> so I, for me, it's almost like homework. It's like, let me give you some homework, right? Go, go read my blog article. And I'm just wondering, how do you help someone feel and stay safe if they're not already comfortable in the water, particularly maybe if they can't swim? Is that something that happens? Oh, yes, yes. And that, that's an excellent question. And I kind of like to give a huge a, you know, round of applause. It is surprising how many people will come to the pool for aquatics activities who don't know how to swim. And to me, that is like such a bigger bar and hurdle that those people just overcame a level of bravery compared to somebody walking in a yoga studio, right? Like everybody knows how to walk, right? We, we drove up, we're functioning adults. We managed to get to the yoga studio, but somebody who's afraid of the water to come to an aquatics class, it's like, wow, you're amazing. And so if you can, the way I choose to handle it is I do try to put people at ease in terms of saying, hey, you know, this is really brave because uh, to own it for them. It's like, hey, I recognize this is the case for you. I work in municipal pools, which means there's always a lifeguard on duty. So I'll orient them to the space, say, you know, here's the bathrooms, here's where you put on your stuff. We're going to be working at this height in the water. Here's the lifeguard. There's the other staff and direct them how to get into the water in a way that works for them. So pools are all different and you might have to adjust your teaching based on the, you know, the architecture of the pool. Another thing we don't kind of have to think about as much in the studio is that might be, does the pool have steps they can get into or a zero entry area where they can walk in slowly? So somebody who has a little more fear of the water, they're really going to appreciate that zero entry area where they can kind of walk in slowly, maybe use the rail, manage their emotions as they get in to take somebody who's afraid of the water and say, Hey, go use the ladder and just kind of jump right in. That can be a little much. So, so that can help as well as we use different props in aqua yoga. So you could give that person a prop. So they have something in their hand that'll give them a little more security, really helpful to pair that person up with a buddy who's maybe been to the class before and, you know, introduce them to somebody, Hey, this person's been to class. They're going to help look after you in class, you know, and you work right next to them. That can really help. Since COVID, I have not been working with my students in the water just for the safety of having to maintain that six feet like we're all being asked to do. And, and of course, some pools are smaller than others and, and that student needs the space. So I have been on the pool deck. But if it's in the past, if I had somebody like that, is I would give them a buddy and I'd put that person who's fearful between me and their buddy. 
So, and I would say, Hey, and I'll be right here the whole time and, and make it clear again, when we talk about floating meditation, I will offer a floating meditation with those head under options for people who want them, who really like that, especially, you know, in the summer, it's just so beautiful, but not everybody likes that. And so there is always an option to in no way get your head wet whatsoever and yet still get a meditative experience. And even those people don't have to take their feet up off the pool floor. We can float vertically. We can leave our feet on the pool floor. So, so lots of ways to handle that and make people still feel comfortable. And I'd say even culturally as well, a lot of people would feel comfortable knowing they don't have to put their head in the water and get their hair wet. And I feel oh, like yeah. that would be a, an aspect for some people that stops them going to the pool. Oh, hair. Yeah. It's, it's not even about fear of the water. It's you, you, my hair is not getting wet. <laughs> I spent two hours in the beauty parlor the yesterday, honey. I am not getting my hair wet. <laughs> so there is a, there's a big women, women in our hair. We're very particular about our hair. So that is a, a big barrier, but it is not an insurmountable one. Again, your hair does not have to get wet. And there are some great companies with products these days that you can use to cover your hair so that it's not getting wet. You know, a lot of African-American women, if you've spent all that effort and money on braids, you don't want to get those wet, you know, so you want to cover those up. But we have we have great products these days that can help with that. And I guess like following on in the body image realm, like we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier and you mentioned modest swimsuits that can be really helpful because that's another aspect which I know for some people is just a total deal breaker. Like they don't feel comfortable being in their swimsuit around other people. It's too confronting. It's not a relaxing, comfortable place for them. And I'd love to hear how you navigate this, how you help people feel more comfortable in their bodies and more comfortable showing as much or as little as their bodies as they feel good to do on that particular day. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And and I think it's very similar for land yoga teachers. You know, I'm sure you've heard, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to wear yoga pants. I, I would have to get out of my sweatpants, right? So it is something that we we face when when we're trying to help people because yoga is inherently an embodied practice. And so people are bringing their bodies and how they feel about their bodies to class, whatever in the pool, on the mat, whatever that is. And so we, in terms of how I work with people on that is I like to just kind of own it and turn and, and explain it in the concept of yoga philosophy. So when we talk about, hey, okay, we're gonna get in the water and we're all now up to our chests, literally. So if you look around, you can't see anybody, right? It's that whole comparison in class in terms of if you're going to look at the other person on their next mat, we, you know, you might say, oh, keep your eyes on your own mat. It's your own practice. Well, in the pool, you look over and you literally can't see anything really under the water. So if you can approach it from that aspect of like, hey, you know, if, if we're not comfortable in our bodies, we, this is a very safe environment because nobody can see anything, right? And then we can talk about that idea of, of yoga philosophy. We would say, hey, you know, you, you really want to turn into your own practice and make it about what you're doing on land, we would say, on your mat. But in the pool, it's like, hey, what's going on in your own body, right? And, and bring it back to that and really encourage people to get to know themselves, Fadhyaya, and as an embodied practice, and then also their thought stream about their body, right? And help them recognize that there's, they're not the same, right? Their body and its physicality is not the same thing as their thoughts about their body, right? And so we can, we can 
separate those things. We can separate out the, there's, there's your body, there's your thoughts about their body, and then there's your thoughts about what other people think about your body. And when you get in the pool, especially, it's like, ain't nobody got time for that, right? We're all struggling to do yoga and stand on one leg in the pool because it's really hard with the water throwing us around. And believe me, nobody's got time to look at everybody else and think about what's jiggling or anything because we're all working really hard trying to manage ourselves. So there's this element of, of we can practice a paragraha and get just a little less graspy about, you know, how we feel and just really focus on the comfort. And since I work so much with people with arthritis, that resonates pretty quick. Because if you're in pain, you don't necessarily really care that you got muffin top in your bathing suit. You just really want your back to hurt less, right? And so if we make it about what our overall goals for while we're there, it's pretty, it becomes much easier. Excuse me, I shouldn't say it's easy. It becomes easier to, to let some of those other feelings and some of that baggage go. And is it like safe and okay if someone wanted to wear like say a really big baggy t-shirt in the pool? Ah, good question. Um, No, not, but not about body image is most pools do not allow cotton because it is too hard to sterilize. Those cotton fibers get in the water and it makes the water quality worse. It makes, because it can harbor bacteria. And so it makes the water really hard to sterilize and then it can clog up the filter. So that's why cotton's not allowed in the pool. It's really not about anybody's body image, right? So if you want to wear something baggy, absolutely, but it has to be out of swim fabric. So those those synthetic fabrics for for the water quality of the pool. But but you can absolutely you can cover up and here in Florida, you know, it's about skin cancer here. You know, I encourage everybody to cover up. Oh, Australia too. Yeah. Right. It's not about body image. It's like, please, your dermatologist is gonna love you. Please cover up. And, and so you can get swim pants, you know, we mentioned the burkini. And so whatever makes people feel comfortable, as well as something as simple as, you know, a lot of people have trouble with their shoulders and getting in and out of a swimsuit becomes really uncomfortable, right? Just to manage those straps back there. If you can't raise your arms because you got something going on with your shoulders can be an issue. And so to, to wear alternative swimwear that doesn't have that bar of straps can be really helpful. Before we go on, I just wanted to remind you that you can use our discount code MACFLOW at markaloo.com to get 10% off. You'll support the podcast and a great sustainable Australian company. The Markaloo is a set of nesting domes on a wooden base that you can use for self-massage, stability and proprioceptive awareness. It's such a great portable and accessible tool that really opens up new movement possibilities. And it's a great addition to chair yoga, adding stability challenges to a floor-based practice, or for anyone who loves self-massage. The shape of the Markaloo domes are actually designed to be helpful and comfortable to hold for people working with arthritis or peripheral neuropathy, and their nesting nature allows you to gradually increase load. Check out our link in the show notes for all our Markaloo resources, including some free video classes. And um, this is a question, well, it's more of a, just something I wanted to share because it's something I noticed here in Melbourne, which I think is really awesome. I know that gender can be a really big factor in going to the pool and often there's not a gender neutral bathroom and also 
in some cultures. It's not culturally appropriate for the men and the women to be in the pool together. And a lot of swimming pools here in Melbourne are addressing that and they'll have like a women's only day and time. And one pool in particular in Brunswick, one of our past guests, Alicia Leo, did a trans-friendly and ally-friendly swim day. And so I think that sometimes there's more inclusivity happening but you might have to look for it. So I don't think every pool offers this, but if there is someone on the management team who like makes it happen, often there are some ways that, you know, maybe you're comfortable sharing your body with some people, but not other people. It doesn't mean you can't go to the pool at all. It might just be a little bit of research and a little bit of looking to see if there are days and times that are really comfortable and welcoming for everyone. That's an excellent point. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that. Melbourne's much more progressive. I mentioned I'm in Florida and you might even get this in the news. You know, Florida man lives here. We're a little (laughs) behind times. And so my local pool, we are not that progressive, unfortunately. And I'd love to see more of that happening because being non-binary and transgender is a very big barrier when it comes to an aquatic environment. Because like you just said, it's, it's hard to not show what's other people are perceiving your gender to be, whether different than what you have perhaps self-identified as. That really becomes hard to navigate in a pool environment in our current swimwear choices. So I, it's really lovely to see Melbourne taking that on and, and providing some alternatives. Yeah, and I think it's really just like I think Alicia totally made the queer and trans inclusive day happen, but I'm hoping through her example other pools will see it and notice it as a possibility and, yeah, it will just open this space up that can be so healing and so nurturing and so much about play and feeling good and moving freely in your body to everyone. Yeah, and that should be the point. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's what the po- what's the point is for everybody to be welcome and have a good time. And so just cycling back to something you've mentioned a couple of times, I'd love to know what props you use to help people kind of find these different shapes in their bodies in their water, in the water. And even like a little, like, how do you use them? Like maybe a description or two of a really traditional yoga pose and how that would take shape in the water. Sure. So virtually all the props we use in aqua yoga are buoyant. You know, they're often made of foam. And and so if you think about, you know, most people have used a kickboard if they've gone to swim, you know, we would use a kickboard. That would be one of them. In the States, we call them pool noodles. You know, in the UK, they're woggles. So that, you know, the round foam things with the O in them, whatever you call them in whatever country you're listening from. I don't know all the European names. And we also really focus on the difference between the up-down movements. So you asked, say, for example, talk about, well, what that looks like in a pose. If I come into a warrior one pose, which is basically a lunge. So if I start standing and I take my one, two, three steps forward with one foot and I bend that knee in line with my hip and I'm that back heels up, I'm now in my lunge. In a regular yoga class, I would then bring my arms up and just hold them, right? So I mentioned, you know, we think about kind of this up down and moving through the water is if instead I do that with a buoyant prop in each hand, I now have to navigate the fact that this foam is giving me some buoyancy and really acting different than my arms do moving through the air. And what that is about is basically is it's going to give me a 
muscular effort that is more equalized in both directions than I would get on land. If I'm in that lunge pose and I do a bicep curl, so I'm in my lunge, I tuck in my elbows and I put a a traditional weight like from the gym in each fist and bring those fists up towards my shoulders, I'm working against gravity and I'm like, okay, this is hard. This is hard. I have to put a little effort into lowering them back down, but it's really that bringing them up, working against gravity. If I do the same thing in the pool, because it's foam, the thing's going to want to fly up towards the surface of the water, right? So I'm really having to tuck in and think, okay, I don't want to have my barbell fly out of my hands. I really have to resist that buoyancy even though I'm resisting gravity at the same time. So I'm expending a lot of effort to do that. Once those aquatic barbells get to the surface of the water, those buoyant foam ones again, and I want to lower them back down to the pool floor, well, now I'm moving with gravity. So on land, that would be easy if if I had my metal thing in the regular gym. But now that I'm in the water and I got this buoyant foam thing, I'm having to resist the, the buoyant prop, excuse me, is resisting the buoyancy of the water, and now I'm getting muscular effort in the other direction. So these buoyant props moving through the water are going to give me a real balanced muscular effort on each side. And warrior, the warrior one pose, which I gave the example, the lunge, is just one place we could do that. And and I cued it as a very traditional way in terms of, okay, on land versus in the pool. But if you also think about, well, now that I'm in the water, I don't have to just raise my arms in the sagittal plane. So that sagittal plane, when I'm standing on my yoga mat, it's that movement parallel to the long edge. We do a lot of, you know, sun salutations fall exactly into that. We do so much sagittal movement in land yoga. But when I get in the pool, I can really think about, okay, how can I move this buoyant prop in 360 degrees and get some really interesting different movements there? So to kind of, you know, wrap it back around is I've got those aquatic barbells that are buoyant. I can move them through the water in 360 degrees. I've got pool noodles that I can move through the water or leave them on the surface of the water to offer me some support. I can also put them under me, right? That can be under my legs, under my feet to challenge my balance. That can give me support in a meditation, I started talking about with the kickboards, those are a buoyant prop that we keep on the surface of the water. We can sit on them. So seated, we haven't talked about seated postures yet. Those are a whole different ball game in the pool, but I would never want to put kickboards under my feet because that's that's not safe. So those those stay on the surface or under my bum. But those are the, the sort of the quick rundown of the aquatic props and some different perspectives on how we would use them and in a quick rundown on a yoga pose of, of running those through. So that was like a whirlwind on that. I'm sure you're now like, okay, tell me more about X. <laughs> I'm actually kind of interested. What's the general response you get from people who maybe are more, you know, they do have a bit of experience in land-based yoga. How, how do they respond to the water? That's a great question. So To a person, regular yoga people are quite surprised by how hard yoga in the water is (laughs) because I I very much advocate it's a very accessible practice and that it it offers so many benefits to people with whether it's health challenges or, you know, pregnant ladies. I did not do aqua yoga when I was pregnant. It's like big life regret. I was like, oh, that would have been the best thing, right? So much support. 
So it, it is very accessible, yet at the same time, it's really quite challenging because you're in this environment you're not used to balancing in. And I mentioned how much we're using the resistance of the water to work. And so something as simple as a plank pose, you know, you're, you're very experienced yoga people. You could probably, you know, balance your checkbook while in the middle of your plank pose, right? <laughs> You've done it so many times. But yet if I gave you a pool noodle and asked you to do plank in the water, it would be a new experience for you. You'd have to be putting in some effort to figure out the balance point and to be engaging some different muscles. And so people who are very experienced are, they're surprised by the, the challenge of it. They also can see sometimes get gain some new perspective on your strengths and your weaknesses in our practices. We all have our habits, you know, that we bring and the water can really show those out as well as is since it's a different environment, since the three of us here today are teachers. And I know a lot of people listening are teachers is it can help make you a better teacher to teach in the water environment because it, it really changes how people process what you're offering in terms of their ability to hear and the fact that the water's like cuts people in half, right? It's normally in a mat class, you could like look at the alignment of your toes. If somebody says, oh, and check in with your ankles, see if the alignment on your toes is right. And, and in the water, it's like, my, I know they're down there, but I can't really quite see them. And you get all that refraction. So it's like, oh, I have 12 toes right now. <laughs> and so, so there's that challenge as well. So I, I think it's, I love to say that the practice is for everyone, which it, I know that's not true. And we as yoga people, we love to say that, but I, I, I hope that people see it as something that can offer someone at any level. I think that's so important as well, especially if it's a practice that is an accessible practice. Not everyone only wants to do gentle things. I know there are a lot of people who really want that scope to challenge themselves in a safe way that is going to feel good in their body the next day. So it's so valuable when you kind of discover these other options. Yeah, totally. And and I think that's really important, particularly, I said I work so much with seniors. You know, when you work with seniors, not just because somebody isn't capable of the same thing as somebody else who's younger does not mean they don't want to challenge, does not mean they don't want to be fit, does not mean they don't want to do the best that they can. It might be different than it was for them when they were 20, but that doesn't mean they're looking to dial the rest of their life in, right? And so just like any other aspect of yoga, we are trying to provide an experience where everybody can meet their needs, right? Whether it's a challenging practice, whether it's a mellow practice, right? So, so how we would do that, like, so you're probably thinking, okay, so you've got a person who needs a lot of physical support in a class, and then maybe somebody who needs a lot of challenge and really wants that challenge. How do you manage that? And so I try to manage that by offering lots of choices. So we basically, we start at option one, right? And these are not less than better than, right? It's not, if you can't do X, do this. That's like, who wants to hear that? No, we're all there to have a good time <laughs> and we all have our options and you get to choose. It's a buffet, right? So you got option number one. If I come back to that lunge where I was at, so option number one is we're all in our lunge, right? Well, option number Two would be, okay, you can bring that lunge forward and bring it up into a warrior three. I'm going to run through these, these fast rather than explain them. Individually, you come into that warrior three. Option number two would be, okay, we stay here. Option number three, come back down into that lunge or warrior one where I was. And then option number four, we're going to swing it now through to a front leg lift 
right? So I, I can link poses together and, and provide options so that people can prefer to stay in a pose, or I can take a pose and continually to add in little harder elements of it. So, so those are just t- kind of two quick ways of how you can add elements of, of both difficulty and ease, whether it's through a flow or through alterations in one particular posture to accommodate a diverse mix of people in a class. You just kind of gave us those different options. I was wondering if in your experience, the obscuring factor of the water, people not really being able to see what's going on below the surface for other people, and also the immediacy, like that in the momentness of just trying to coordinate what they're doing, takes away from that group pressure of everyone else doing a particular variation, even though you've given several that might push people to push themselves. Exactly. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And and you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the reduced fall risk. So it's also, there's a much more kind of element of humor and lightness to it, because the feedback's pretty immediate. If you fall over, it's, you know, it's kind of curse splash. And so you're not really focused on what other people are doing, because you're trying to not fall over in your own body. And that really eliminates that, you know, why are we paying attention on other people and just trying to try to stay focused on what you're doing? I have another question that just occurred to me. Some teachers already aren't alignment detail orientated. Some teachers really are. It seems like a lot of the safety concerns that feed into those alignment details, like say making sure your knee isn't angling sideways in your lunge, it wouldn't be as much of a safety issue in water because you aren't doing load bearing on your joints do you still give alignment-based cues or do you focus more on just whole body functional, this is what we're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. I personally I tend to give a lot of alignment cues and this is outing myself here. My, I, my first experience in yoga and lots of years of yoga were in Iyengar yoga and that means we're kind of mechanics, right? <laughs> and so I'm adding myself here a little bit, as well as the fact of since I work with so many people who have joint conditions, I am always trying to help people find himself for them. And, and I see those, all those alignment and cues and, and it can almost feel like pickiness, not as it must be yoga perfection, like I'm trying to get anybody to look a certain way in the pose. Absolutely not, not at all. It's about I'm trying to help them understand how perhaps good ergonomics can help them find more comfort and, and be a true expression of ahimsa. So your example is the perfect one of, well, where is your knee bending? So I like to tell people it's your hips, your knees, and your toes are going in the same direction in your body because that keeps them safe right? And it accommodates the diversity of anatomy people have, right? We're not all the same shapes. And as we discussed, everybody's cut off in the water. I can only see, you know, so much if I haven't worked with people before. So while I'm trying to give them as many alignment cues as seem relevant, again, I cannot give as many in the water as one would give on land. I'm trying to help them see how the whole point of it is about ahimsa and good ergonomics and finding less pain and helping them to feel the difference in their bodies. So and when I would teach those, I sometimes will like put people somewhere funky and then we'll go back to what would be quote better alignment. And, and then it's like, Hey, do you feel the difference there? Okay. Now we're going to do it again. And you do the one you like. 
right? It gives them the power to feel it in their own body and decide, well, which is the better choice for them? And I guess even if safety is not as much of a concern in that unloaded water environment, you're still kind of making muscle memory and setting up awarenesses and postural habits that will hopefully help them move in a more pain-free way out of the water as well. It's just a safer space for exploration. Right. And that's, and that's, I tell people that it's like, Hey, I, uh, I like to joke. It's like, Hey, I know you're all going to love after you come to aqua yoga, you're all going to fall in love with yoga and go to the studio every day and you do yoga every day. <laughs> so I want you to learn what yoga looks like, right? So you could do that all the time, but it's also exactly what you just said. Again, it brings it back to that ergonomics of so that you can be comfortable in your daily life and understand how you're using your body and, and maybe make some movement, different movement choices, excuse me, if you've been moving in such a way that maybe isn't serving your body and now your body is trying to express its discomfort and dislike of your habits over time. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I guess with the advent of COVID, many yoga teachers have had to move their teaching online. And I imagine that not all of your participants have their own pools and, and laptops and iPads don't necessarily mesh well with um, pools either. So how, how have you evolved your teaching over the past couple of years? That's a great question. Yeah, we've all been struggling in that place. Here in Florida, again, Florida man lives here. So we were only under lockdown for six weeks and the pools were one of the first places to reopen. We did have social distancing. So I was back in the pools months before people were back in the yoga studio. So I had that advantage. Also, thankfully, and in terms of this being an outdoor environment, it was for me personally, when I'm saying the thankfully and my health needs is it allows me to teach outside. So I continued teaching my outdoor classes. When I say, you know, we were only in the lockdown for the six weeks, the outdoor spaces. The indoor pools were on lockdown for longer and I gave up a location in an indoor pool that I taught and I gave up all my other land-based indoor teaching. And so that would be with my local students, private sessions, right? If they don't have a pool, they would have to come to the municipal pool. And then in terms of moving things online is I have a very modest backyard pool and I have high-speed internet access on my pool deck. So if you're like, oh, I want to do an aqua yoga session with Krista, I can give you the recording of me being in the pool and doing it for you. And then you can take that audio or if you you have a little tablet, you could set up at your pool whenever you get back into the pool. That is an option. And so I have done some of that. It has been impactful, very impactful to the aquatics community in general, Some municipalities have shut their pools down just permanently because I mentioned, you know, I'm in Florida. We were not restrictive at all here. Many states were much more restrictive and they lost two summers of aquatic activities in their pools, which is why they chose to shut them down permanently. The aquatics community in Canada had a much tougher time of things overall than we did here in the States. So I don't want to express my experience with aquatics and the COVID closures as universal at all. It was, it's been very tough on the aquatics community as much as the yoga world. And I'd imagine as well, the community that you're serving, older people, people who are working with other health conditions are in a higher risk bracket for attending as well. So even if classes are an option, they might not be an option for everyone, just depending on how people are feeling about their own well-being. Of course. Yeah. 
it's it's been tough it's been tough choices for everybody yeah is there a comparative okay you can't do this in the pool did you end up doing any land based online classes or is there I guess you did chair yoga as a teacher as well. Is there another option for people that might have some of the same benefits and feel similar if the pool's closed still? That's a good question. It, the closest equivalent would be, and it depends on which aspect of aqua yoga you, you want to emphasize. I kind of pause there because you mentioned the chair yoga. That is definitely an option for somebody who doesn't want to do yoga that uses their hands, for example. If you're looking for very much mindful movement, Tai Chi would be a good example. And then you also, again, don't have to use your hands or get on and off the ground. That, that getting on and off the ground becomes a big barrier in terms of if, that's, if that was your make or break deal for why you came to yoga in the pool, we don't have a lot of good options. And, and that might be your opportunity, you know, once we get to be middle-aged as women, we start losing our muscle mass. And you've probably been lectured on the, hey, you need to maintain your muscle mass and you should maybe think about some more loaded activities. And so maybe that's your opportunity to go to the gym and, and get a little less aparagraha about your yoga at this time. So we're all just making tough choices and doing the best we can. Actually, that leads me to another question because for bone density, I have heard that swimming actually isn't a recommended activity because you're not working against gravity, but you are working against the resistance of the water. So what are your thoughts on moving in the water if someone is experiencing low bone density? Would that be helpful or would they also need to do some strength work with weights as well? Yeah, good, good question. So. You know, scope of practice in terms of being a yoga teacher, I like to operate from a from an evidence-based place. And so I, to the best of my ability, try to reference the research for people. So yoga, land yoga, they have done some research on yoga for osteoporosis, and it has shown some benefits. You mentioned, you know, swimming is often contraindicated, yet you are building muscle mass and it's that muscle acting against bone that helps restore bone density. So all aquatics activities that they have researched show that there can be improvements towards osteoporosis, however, not as much improvement as loaded exercise, like you just mentioned. That being said, part of those improvements that some people receive is if you're that person who maybe for whatever reason, especially here in the States, we have a not so good healthcare system, you need a knee replacement and you can't get it done. You can't go to the gym and do those loaded weight activities. So your only opportunity for exercise is exercising in the pool. So you are going to get a lot more benefit <laughs> exercise wise from going to the pool and at least doing something than doing nothing. So it's really important, whatever condition that you're working with in your life, that you work with a healthcare provider that can help give you some suggestions for what kind of movement activities are really going to serve your needs. And I think just as you've been saying, feeling good as you move is so important as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's what we would hope people find from yoga, right? It's just, it's the joy in their, in their bodies. And your, the name of your podcast, you know, the, the flow artists, it's, I, I love the double entendre of it. I didn't ask why you guys named it that. So I'm not sure if it's about like sun salutations and flow through yoga, or if it's the idea 
I'm an educator previous to being yoga. And so Mahaili Chikamenshali, I'm sure I horribly butchered that name. He's Hungarian. And I don't know how to pronounce it. I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah. 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 He wrote the book Flow, right? Yeah. And and so he, he has this idea of when you are engaged in your physical activity that is something that you enjoy and that the world just falls away and it's that thing that you do and you do for two hours and you look up and you're like oh my gosh it's been two hours I thought it'd been five minutes is is that's where we all would like to to live our lives right in all aspects of our lives not just in that that hobby that we enjoy so much and and so I would hope that you know the the flow artists listening to the podcast today find that in some aspect of their yoga practice Absolutely. And I guess that brings us to our last question, which we ask to all of our guests. And you might have already touched on the answer already, but I guess if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core essence, what what do you think that one thing would be? That yoga is possible anywhere, including in the pool. (laughs) If you had to just break it down into, you know, Three words. Yoga is possible everywhere. Nice. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared, Krista. We, we live very far apart, but um, I'd love to come to one of your water classes. It sounds really fun and really welcoming, and I'm sure it'd be a good workout as well. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm sorry. Yeah, we can't, we can't do it in person. I would love to, to come to Australia again. It's been a long time. I was there once 30 years ago, but you as a country have a wonderful aquatics tradition you know you guys did awesome in the olympics and you have so many pools and so i hope people listening are able to apply this and i should just mention a shout out to singing dragon is publishing my water yoga book this summer and it will be available in australia at the same time as here in the states and so if there's any aussies who are like oh i love this but i don't know where to go for resources that'll be available this summer so you could encourage your local library to buy it so you can use it (laughs) oh thank you so much and we got so swept up in the rest of the conversation i completely forgot to ask you about your book and your whole process writing it so thank you for remembering to share about that oh yeah it's it's so on my mind like you asked about oh well how did it go during covid it's my covid baby right so (laughs) i got locked out so i wrote a book (laughs) Um, so yeah my book is my covid baby and it'll be coming out this summer so i'm i'm excited about that and really the, the joy of writing the book is just to bring the program and the process and the possibilities of it to more people i hope it's inspiring to people so they can whether they're already a yogi and want to try a new environment, they can take it that way. Or if it just provides another venue that they've never thought of to do something they'd never considered before, right? And we'll also link to your website and your Instagram because you actually do share a lot of resources and a lot of great information already for free online for people wanting to learn more and enhance their own teaching and practice. Absolutely. Yeah, I put out a lot of videos because people are very curious about it. And so hopefully they can gain whatever they need from those as well yeah i hope you enjoyed our conversation with krista it was amazing meeting her and she's doing some great work aqua yoga sounds like it could benefit many people if you'd like to send us any feedback or any comments you can do so via our website podcast.flowartist.com you can also find joe and myself on instagram at garden of yoga or ran loves yoga respectively and we're also on facebook as the flow artist podcast come and say hello 
Our theme song is Baby Robots by GoSoul and is used with permission. Check out gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your precious time with us. He aroha nui, maua kia koutou katoa. Big, big love. <laughs>